0: families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit UASCC.org or call 716-483-1561. You are tuned in to Arts on Fire right here on 107.9 WRFA happy new year to you happy 2023 first episode of the year and we're back at it for another one and uh our first our first guest of the uh, year we got john cross local musician music educator all around the area and i mean tons to talk about uh, what he's done but i mean very busy year coming up i uh, i got a chance to talk to him a little bit before this and uh staying quite busy in 2023 so we're gonna get into all of that with him so uh let's talk to john john how are you I'm doing well. Great to be here, Anthony. I'm uh, I'm very excited to talk to you more. I mean, people uh, may know a few weeks ago we had you in with a uh, Bill Ward and you know, I got to do like a little Q&A with him, it was mostly a performance, so it's kind of nice to like sit down with you and like chat more learn more about you and everything. Um in a nutshell, cuz again, I mean, this is our uh, first one of uh, 2023, your year in review for 2022. I feel like talking to you, you were doing a ton all year, but I mean, what did you kind of have musically going on? You know, what, what was going on in the world of music for John Cross in 2022? What did that year kind of look like for you?
1: I think I overcompensated for the pandemic uh, with music being withdrawn from the public for that year. So going from no concerts to almost 200 concerts <laughs> this past year. What wow. Now,
0: on a normal year, because that that is true, the pandemic, like, it's weird, because I'll ask people who, like, you're very prolific, and it's like, you kind of ask people, is that like a normal year for you? And I know the last couple years, probably not. Um, Pre-pandemic, I mean, has that kind of just been your thing? Are you always basically just playing as much as possible, just constantly playing?
1: I do play quite a bit, anywhere from 100 to 150 concerts per year.
0: Wow. I mean, that's on top of, I mean, again, we're, we're going to get into, like, all of this with you. But, I mean, on top of your own music, you know, you've been a music educator. You've done a ton. I mean, there's, there's a lot to get into with, uh, with you throughout uh, all of it. But, again, I mean, people may have just heard you. We had you in here. It would have been a couple weeks at this point. But uh, an amazing performance with you and Bill Ward and the uh, rest of the band for that holiday adventure. And I know you do a decent amount with Bill. I mean, how did, how did you and Bill kind of start playing together? How did that, how did that relationship kind of build
1: Uh, This was many years ago in the 80s. Um, The Rusty Nail that used to be in Jamestown as a hangout, Bill Ward Band was playing there. And when I arrived, they had a cover charge. And uh, I didn't want to pay the $5 cover charge, so I just told the bouncer I was with the Bill Ward Band. Within 20 minutes of being inside the Rusty Nail, I just happened to have my saxophone with me, I met Bill Ward and actually played a set with him and he hasn't been able to shake me loose since.
0: Now, is it? Now I'm thinking about this. Not not only is that genius going in there and going, you're the saxophone player, but you had a sax in hand. Did you get in into any other shows throughout your life free, walking around with a sax and just going, I'm in the band? That seems like a great way to get into shows.
1: No one's ever asked me this question before, but I will give you the answer. <laughs> so I was at Chautauqua Institution, and Grover Washington Jr. was playing there, one of my heroes on the saxophone. And so I snuck in with the TV crew and uh ended up being standing next to Grover backstage. And Grover saw that I had my saxophone with me, invited me on the stage, and we hung out all week and played at Chautauqua and had a great time. That is amazing. So then I became a friend of the family. I got pictures with all the kids and uh I ended up becoming the jazz ambassador for all the Russians that were doing this Glasnost program at Chautauqua. Wow. And so I became a part, a front seat for all the concerts that I wasn't playing on. And I was the ambassador for all the, the Russians that happened to be joining <laughs> him at
0: Chautauqua that week. It really pays off to walk around with a saxophone. Something People, I, I guess, I guess good, things happen, good things happen to those walking around with saxes. It's, well,
1: I'll give you one more. And this is my first night in New Orleans. I had been there all of 20 minutes on Bourbon Street, and I didn't want my saxophone to get stolen out of my car. So I went into the famous club called Snug Harbor there, and within 10 minutes of being in there, the bass player with the band said, asked me if I would play because their sax player couldn't make it. And five hours later, I was in that house band in New Orleans. <laughs>
0: So I would, I mean, the the other thing, if you just jumping into things like this, I mean, improv, it seems like you're not bad at it. Can you, I mean, have you always been good at that? Or just kind of jumping in with a band? Like now I feel like you can, that's a given. But I mean, have you always been that kind of guy who can just jump in with, some musicians can do that, some can't. Like I'm I'm not great with just jumping in with someone like that. You seem like that's not a problem for you. Just I'll go in and play my thing and do my thing. I don't need a whole lot beforehand.
1: No, I think it was during my formative age you know, 12, 13, when my family couldn't afford a, a music lesson. So I would just practice at home with the record player. So I learned to play by ear at an early age.
0: That, de- yeah, playing by ear definitely helps. I would, I would say that would, uh that would be a big helper. You know, I want to, I want to go back for a second to, you know, talking about Chautauqua and stuff. I, I know you've done a ton there throughout the years. I mean, were there any other, because I was looking at lists, so I'm sure there are, but I mean, it looks like you played with some amazing people while you were there. I mean, did you get, being at Chautauqua and stuff. I mean, were there other people who you who you got to perform with? Or you were there, like some, you know, I mean, like some big names or anything like that. Anyone else come through that you got to play with?
1: Uh, yes, a lot of it had to do with warm-up acts with the Bill Ward band. So a lot of great oh people, including uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Diamond Rio and Waylon Jennings, Loretta wow. Lynn, the Gatlin brothers. And I actually Jeez. did three uh, shows for Bob Newhart. Wow,
0: that is quite a that is quite amazing. That is, uh, I mean, did you ever with with that stuff? I mean, again, it's kind of going back to like that improv and stuff. I mean, is there is there any more added stress when you're working with like someone like that or performing in front of them versus you know I, I guess someone who's not of like Bob Newhart's stature, or, you know, you know other acclaimed musicians? Is is there any added pressure on playing with them versus I guess
1: you know maybe someone you've played with a hundred times? I found that most of the issue was with myself and associating with celebrity. But I soon realized that they were calm and relaxed. And if you just were calm and relaxed and just didn't ask for signatures (laughs) real quick right away, uh, that they were just so gracious and wonderful to work with.
0: Was there a part of that of, yeah, you you almost want to play it cool, I take it? Because I remember talking to... uh I interviewed John Beauvoir once, and he, when as a teenager, he got to play with, like, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, and so, like, back when Dick Clark still did those, like, I think it was Dick Clark, someone did tours back in the day and had a bunch of people on him, but, I mean, I asked him, I'm like, you're, like, 14, 50 years old, 15 years old, and you're playing with, like, Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry, like, does that make you nervous? He's like, no, you can't be up there if you're that, you know what I mean? Like, if you're thinking of it. Or it's a thing where it becomes, oh my god, I'm on stage with so and so. Yeah, I I feel like that. You can't have that. It almost feels like you just have to go up there and act like you're playing with just whoever. It doesn't matter the name, it doesn't matter who they are.
1: That's right. I call it the process of letting go. So you, you just allow your inner self to to maximize the potential of the moment.
0: Going uh you know, going way back back to like, you know, when you when you started playing music, I know like you said you're kinda of self training everything, playing with records what kind of sparked the interest in music? Like, what like, what are your kind of earliest, who are those, who are those artists who kind of made you even want to play music in the first place? What, what kind of brought you to, to it all?
1: Um, I believe D- David Sanborn was the saxophone player that really intrigued me uh, by his sound. He was originally from Austin and moved to New York City in the mid-'70s. And he put out some just... Phenomenal recordings year after year, and I fell in love with his sound. And I've actually attended several his of his shows, and uh, he he was the artist that inspired me the most to start on the saxophone.
0: When you when you started playing, because I I feel like I feel like there's there's two, including including for being young and getting into music. I feel like there's either you get the passion right away, and it like really you know I mean it's it becomes your life, or just something you always want to do. But then for others, it's like it's it's kind of down the road. Like, I mean, how, how was it for you? Like the minute you picked it up, was it a huge, you know, was it a big part of your life or that was there kind of that defining moment where it kind of music started overtaking your life? You know what I mean? Like, did it click right away or did it go from a thing you kind of were just fiddling around with to, oh, I actually think I want to spend like hours a day, you know, playing this thing.
1: It's a process that every musician has to go through some earlier or later in their life. I even teach a couple students that are in their 70s now, who their passion has been reawakened uh, 40 years after working at a career that didn't involve music at all. Uh, For me, it was fairly early. Um, I just felt I was intrigued by music and the possibilities of music, both in the jazz and classical worlds.
0: That's cool. That's really yeah. Because some people, it does. It, it it can take a while for it to like really click. And I want to I want to talk about that too. Because I mean, you do you you give lessons. Obviously, huge music educator in the area, and uh, you know you you teach kids, you teach older people. Like you teach. I feel like you teach everyone under the sun. I feel like you have a little experience of like teaching all age ranges. Is there like you know, and maybe it is. It just differs from people to people. But is there like a certain age range where you think it's like the easy. I don't know if easy is the word, but like to really get them into it, is there like a good, is there a good age? Is it, is it younger? Is it later on in life where like their, their attention right away? Cause like everyone I think wants to play music, but it's that realization that you have to put in the time and effort. Like, is there a certain age range and stuff where it's like that dedication and they'll keep up to it. You, you find there's a specific spot or does it just go, you know, kind of musician to musician?
1: Uh, each person's journey is a, a separate journey. But what I try to do is show uh, young younger musicians the potential of their instrument and the impact it can have in their life uh, with what they can do with it, let's say, outside of just playing in their school band. Uh, and a lot of the students don't even consider anything that's outside of just playing their instrument at school. We have a resource with the Infinity Performing Arts uh here in Jamestown, that is just such a tremendous opportunity for, let's say, a clarinet player to learn to play the bass or the drums or guitar or sing or do get involved in other types of media. And once I kind of open those avenues for the students, then they can run with whatever appeals to them at that point.
0: For teaching people, do you find yourself like is it, is it easier someone comes in who just has almost just a clean slate, no musical background? You know, I mean, maybe they enjoy it, but like just no no background in playing music at all. Just you have someone just fresh slate. You're teaching them right from the beginning. Is that is that easier or harder than someone who might know like, you know, a few things? Maybe they've taken a little lessons or played a little before. Like maybe they're not great. Maybe they're not virtuosos. There's things to learn, but they do still have some of those building blocks already. I mean, is there is there kind of... Is one easier than the other to teach at all, do you think?
1: I think the craft of a successful teacher is meeting the student where they're at at that point. So if they have previous skills that they've built up, then reinforce that and keep building upon those. If they've uh, acquired bad habits, that to move further, uh, it's being realistic about where they're at and telling them the truth about what they might have to modify to achieve their personal success in whatever endeavor they're after. So in, with a woodwind musician, a lot of times this has to do with correct breathing and embouchure. So this is the way the mouth shapes upon the mouthpiece. And to, to show them that they're going to maybe have a rough time of going through the remediation of their amateur or their breathing process for them to achieve what they want to do.
0: I could I could definitely see that being hard trying to undo what's already been done in a lot of ways, including if you've been playing that way, you know, maybe you've been playing that way for like years and now you're trying to learn the correct way. I mean, it's very hard to go, okay, stop all of that, you know, re relearn relearn all of that. that that's quite interesting, actually.
1: When I went to college, uh, my first semester, I was all excited about playing really challenging music and fast notes and my my private teacher Uh, had me play whole notes, which are like sustained tones every lesson, every week. And it was like just the most (laughs) mind-numbing experience. And I'm thinking, what am I here at college for? I'm not actually able to play like music. But I needed the remediation to overcome my embouchure deficiencies at that point. And it worked out.
0: And so, yeah, at the end of the day, that's good. It actually, you know, it, it does something.
1: But at the time, I didn't, <laughs> I was like, this is just not what I wanted. But my teacher was able to give me what I needed. And that's the key for successful teachers.
0: Now, I mean, you know, we talked a lot of saxophone. I feel like that's your main instrument and everything. What, are there are there any other instruments? I'm sure there is. I mean, do you play anything like, like, Really dedicated playing. I mean, I know, I feel like you could probably tool around on anything, but there are other instruments that you, like, on a regular basis play.
1: So uh, before my retirement in 2015 from Casadega Valley Central School, I used to play all the instruments uh daily because whether it was a trumpet or a tuba or trombone or any other instrument, I would play along with the students. This um helped me with my effectiveness because i had to go through the trials and tribulations they did of learning the instrument and when you play an instrument you really figure out what is what can make it difficult all instruments are difficult in one way or another since my retirement i've decided that uh, i gave away all my brass instruments and all my all my percussion and all that all my other instruments. so But I retain my woodwind instruments, so flute, clarinet, saxophones. Those are my primary, as well as iwi. Really? Now, you know what an iwi is?
0: I've heard the name. I don't think I don't think I could sit here and describe it to <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> it's an electronic wind <laughs> instrument. So with an iwi, you play it like a saxophone or clarinet, and it can sound like a tuba or a trombone or a xylophone or whatever really so yeah it's a, an electronic wind synthesizer wow electronic wind instrument that's what EWI stands for <laughs> so with those if i want a muted trumpet sound then i just hit a button and all of a sudden i can play with that sound for <laughs> that moment on my concert
0: that's really cool i never knew that is really wild it's not something I feel like I think of with, uh, so like, like modeling amps for guitars and stuff. I, you know, I think of like some things like that. That's something that can be all these different instruments, all these woodwind instruments. That's wild.
1: And people kind of react. All of a sudden they'll hear like harmonica coming out of what kind of looks like a clarinet or whatever. And then they just like shake. And the reason why I got this, I was actually at a show, um, a Neil Diamond show that was held up in Mayville couple of years ago and i saw i was hearing these wonderful string sounds happening and the only person playing in the background was a saxophone player so i met him during the break and said you know what instrument is that and he goes oh this is an ewee roland EWI." and and so he we talked during the break and ended up buying one a week later and <laughs> now i play it on concerts whenever i can slip it in
0: <laughs> that's so cool do you do you feel like too, you know, going going back to like the music education for a second and like you were talking about like playing I mean, you're playing along with your students and everything. Do you feel like like being a, a educator and doing the lessons and all that stuff, like do you feel like that kind of keeps you up on your instrument? Cause I feel like you have to like more than just if you were playing and not teaching others, you can kind of be set in your ways or do things the way you do it forever. I feel like with doing with that, you almost have to keep your chops up. You have to maybe learn different things, learn new way, maybe even learn different styles of music you may not if you weren't teaching others. I mean, do you, do you feel like your music maybe benefited from giving the lessons and educating others? you think kind of kept your music fresh in a way?
1: Not only that, but I want to be able to show them accurately how to perform what they... I've asked them to prepare. So like today, later today, I have a guitar lesson. And so my guitar student, I want to be sure that I can perform the music competently. And so they can model from my being able to play it as opposed to me just talking to them about it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like it's one thing you can talk to them about it, but they go, well, can you play it for me? Like, like play play this piece for me, though. Like, you show me. Yeah, you got to be able to do that side of things.
1: Especially with keyboards, guitars, these violins, string instruments, these are instruments that you can actually see what you're doing. And so a lot of the modeling and success in these instruments is about seeing how to play the instrument, whereas other instruments like brass And woodwind instruments, a lot—that's a lot more involved with um, not being able to see what you're doing. So there's—it's a totally different realm. That's about what you hear. So with those instruments, it's mostly demonstrating about how to sound with the wind instrument, and it's—it's not a visual thing like the guitar.
0: That's really interesting. For you, uh, for you, like, I mean, because again, you record an insane amount of music, you perform an insane amount of music. Like, I mean, you, if you're not if you're not recording, I feel like you're performing music. You're doing one or the other. I know they're both different. Do you have a preference for one? Do you enjoy that studio time of, you know, sitting, recording, fine tuning things, or are you more of like, no, I just want to get out there and play it in front of people? Is is do you have a preference for one over the other?
1: Uh, my preference is playing for an audience there's an energy that uh i can get from an audience that i can't get alone one example would be occasionally the adrenaline will be running high in a performance and i'll pick up two instruments and play them simultaneously now that never happens in the studio i i never have that feeling of like oh i want to play two instruments now or I would practice two instruments. I've never practiced, but I've performed many times with two instruments simultaneously, and it has to do with the communication with the audience. Like, there's a need for that moment to happen, and it just happens. It's not planned. It's just spontaneous. So I I definitely prefer the live situation.
0: Doing the live stuff. You ever come up with, you know what I mean, you talk about like you jump on another instrument or something like in the live setting. You ever like come up with new ideas live ever like improvise something? maybe even if you don't come up with a whole new song, but I mean, you, you ever find yourself throwing in little things up there just in the moment, noodling around and the song kind of takes a new life live just cause it kind of goes that just like you're saying, like you can't predict it. Maybe you didn't even, you know, in rehearsal and stuff, you weren't, you weren't thinking about it, but it just kind of happens in that live setting. It just kind of happens in the moment.
1: A lot of times uh, better things than hap than would happen in a practice uh, happen in a live situation. And it has to do with the relationship you have with the other musicians at that moment. And so it can transcend your, you know, your average skill level for that moment. All of a sudden I'm playing something that's an octave higher than what I normally would or I'm playing a series of notes that's just technically like near impossible and it just happens effortlessly in that setting. So, so that would be something that wouldn't happen in a recording session or just practicing at home. It happens because of the, the communication of the people you're making music with and that interaction with the audience at that moment.
0: And I mean, people wouldn't hear this cause you and I were talking about it earlier, but like, I think we were talking about before the interview, like, I mean, kind of going off that energy thing, just like, you know, if you're in there recording things become diluted if you keep re-recording them over and over again or trying to do things. There is really that like, like it's interesting because as a musician, I mean you practice and you know, you're writing working on your craft, but there's some things I don't feel like you can plan. There's really not planning. It just kind of happens in that moment, be it live or being recorded or something where the more you try to overthink it or try to go, I'm going to do this thing. It's not going to happen. I feel like if you put too much thought into, into that.
1: No, you have to be in the moment. And for example, the WRFA, uh, arts on fire concert that we had recently, uh, we didn't have an audience, but if there would have been an audience, I would say the performance would have probably been up a notch from the musicians. That synergy you get from the audience. It's a feedback loop of like anticipation, energy, uh, awareness, uh, gratefulness, all of that that all contributes to the intensity and the quality of the music that generally is given back to an audience
0: is there and i i don't think i i got to really ask you but i think i kind of asked bill something like this during that but like is it odd doing a live performance like that where there i mean i was lurking in the darkness but that was your audience it was me lurking in the darkness like is it is it odd in the because obviously you know in the studio you don't have the audience but by all means, you are live. You are performing live in that moment just without, without the crowd. I mean, is that weird at all? Is that a is that kind of a thing you have to get over almost mentally when you're doing it?
1: It is a little weird. It's almost like you're thinking too much. And as we talked about earlier, it's better not to think. It's better just to play. In addition for that performance, uh, we had never played together as a group. So that was the first time. So wow. I met Sally the first time that night and wow. Adam and I don't play. So uh it and then to incorporate uh those other musicians into songs that Bill Ward and I do, I kinda know my space and my place. And then all of a sudden, now I have to accommodate all these other musicians so I'm not stepping on their toes and trying to make it all, you know, uh, function uh, properly. That that was my biggest challenge for that session.
0: You know, I I have to tell people, I mean, shameless plug, but after hearing you say that, I mean you all sounded so tight and so good that I feel like you could have fooled everyone Like with like, you know, oh yeah, the four of us, we go way back, we've been playing, where it's like, really, you should go back and listen to that uh, Arts on Fire live performance because I feel like you, fa- you really, talking about professionalism, I mean, you're quite a professional if you can jump in there like that and the four of you could mesh and connect the way you did. I mean, those songs sounded great. And I mean... I don't feel like most people would go, oh, yeah, those four weren't in a room. Everyone would think you were rehearsing, you know, the week or two before. You're just rehearsing the whole time. So kudos to you for that. I mean, you know, props, props very
1: much. Well, thank you. The uh, one for aspiring musicians, what I recommend is uh, don't think about playing. Think about listening. If you listen, then you'll be able to play.
0: I like that, yeah. Because I mean, that's when you hear things right in your head. I mean, if you're listening, then you go, "Oh, this would sound good here. This fill would go here. This little,
1: you know." Most of playing is ninety percent listening and ten percent playing. That's the formula for uh, having success on stage, especially if it's a situation where you're unfamiliar with the other musicians who are playing with you.
0: No, that, is, that which I mean, and someone who does it a lot again, you uh, you stay vis- very busy, which brings us to 2023. I mean. I know you have a ton going on this year, and I feel like people can see you playing a lot. Like, you know, give us a rundown of uh, at least what's been announced so far. I don't know if you can talk about everything for the year, but like, let us know what you got going on in 2023. What's going on in the world of John Cross?
1: Well, for half the events I do are private uh, situations. That's just the nature of playing for different parties and anniversaries and such. But my public events. Uh, January 13th, I continue my Jamestown Jazz Concert Series at First Covenant Church. This is our fifth concert of the season, and these programs start at 6.30 to 8 o'clock. There's no admission, and the performance will feature the Nick Nisibian Quartet. He's from Erie, phenomenal piano player. And vocalist sounds like Harry Connick Jr. And plays like Harry Connick Jr. And with uh, him, we'll feature an outstanding trumpet player, Eastman School of Music, graduated uh, uh, from New Orleans. And his name is Jay Hagan, who is the present band director at um, Forestville High School. So we'll have that jazz quartet, and then we have a free will offering to help the refurbish the organ at the church. So uh that'll be a great experience for people of all ages. We'll be doing classic jazz standards as well as some other little blues and New Orleans uh music. So that's the first public event that I have in January. Then uh Bill Ward and I will be heading to the Caribbean so uh, we'll be doing some live streams down there. So anyone who can't make it down to St. Thomas, they can uh, catch us on Fridays at 6 or 7 whenever we do our live streams. And uh, we play at the resorts down there and have a lot of fun. For, and we'll return in March. Then I come back for musical season. So the the day I get back, I'll be dress rehearsal for... Uh, Chautauqua Lakes musical, and then Maple Grove's musical, and I'll probably do a couple more in April. So I do three or four musicals when I get back from the Caribbean. And then we we start getting into the nicer weather, and I'm hoping to continue a, a jazz concert series on what we call Jazz Thursdays at the Big Inlet. So uh, I bring in regional jazz groups each week, uh, and I get to play with all these great musicians. And that'll be fun for the summer.
0: Not, you really, I feel like one of those people who kind of know their year ahead of time. You kind of know where you'll be on like the 4th of October and things like that. Like, I feel like you're one of those people. You stay quite busy with that, with your music.
1: I am free the 4th, but uh, there's... <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> most take the, of the one day. <laughs> the most summer. Yeah. I had uh, 60 concerts in 60 days last summer. So it was, I think I overdid it. Wow. I'm not going to do that uh, this year. And most of the time, I'm doing European tours in the summer, but I'm not going this summer. I'm just going (laughs) to chill out around Chautauqua because this is the place to be in the summer.
0: I mean, is, I, you've been at it for so long. I mean, I'm sure you have this down now. You know you know how to, like, schedule all this stuff. But, I mean, like, has that ever been difficult, like, managing all of this and getting all this in place? Because, I mean, it's another thing I was talking to you earlier. Like, I'm looking at, like, just the things you've done, both as a performer and a music educator. And, I mean, a lot of them going simultaneously. Like, it's not like you have one project going on and then you jump to the next. I feel like you got, like, ten projects going on. Like, at once. has that ever been hard to juggle that? Did you have to kind of find that or – were you from the get-go pretty good at like making all of this work?
1: Uh, Well, it's about planning. Uh, before our interview today, I was planning for a program the second Friday of next year in <laughs> December, <laughs> December of next year. Yes. So I was getting all that music ready uh, before our interview today. So there's certain programs that actually take, months or you know even a year to plan because there's only so many days in the calendar year and i got to be sure i'm available and the music is ready to roll for that so yeah i was uh getting ready for that concert which is 51 weeks away
0: (laughs) (laughs) there is some irony or i don't know i guess that's what you'd call it of like you know part of it where it's like you got to plan all these things out, but then at the same time, you've also told us stories of how, like you and Bill Ward started playing together because, like, five minutes after walking into the rusty nail, the saxophone. You know what I mean? It's it's very funny how much some of this is planned, some of it's just totally that's music, right? I mean, it's kind of like the improvising and playing on the spot. Some things you plan out, some things can't be planned out.
1: No, the person who I've, I'm the most grateful for is my wife, because w- we've gone into clubs in Chicago or places in florida or whatever nashville anywhere and i'll bring my sax with me and she's okay with that and most of the time i'll end up somehow on a stage somewhere and she's willing to sit there while i'm doing my thing but the for me the biggest thing that brings me joy is being able to play music with my wife uh and my children now we recently did the musical elf at little theater and Jenny, my daughter, who's a music teacher at Love Elementary in Jamestown, she was the lead, female lead, of playing the role of Jovi in Elf. And I got to sit next to my wife uh, in the pit, and we were able to have music together for two weeks, and just great music of playing in the pit. So to me, that's the thing I look forward most to, is opportunities to make music with my family.
0: That's awesome. Very musical family by the sounds of it, too. Sounds like it runs in the family. My son
1: is a wonderful saxophone player. He also plays for local musicals, uh, JCC, and also the Municipal Band. And uh, my youngest, Ellen, she's a senior at UB, communications major, heading to Paris next week, I think. Yeah. She was in Paris five weeks or five months last year uh, studying abroad. She's a communications, philosophy, and management manager, major at UB, and uh, she plays the violin and clarinet. They're all, of course, they're all outstanding musicians, and uh, we just love uh, playing together.
0: You all like staying busy. All the crosses sound like they. Uh... <laughs> I guess I'm a bad influence on everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: no one's staying in one lane. Everyone, everyone's doing a lot. I, lo- I mean, I like that.
1: Follow your passion. I've always. I tell my students, as well as my family, just like, follow your passion. That's what I decided. I once, I wasn't supposed to be a musician. I was groomed to be a lawyer. And uh, I just decided, I, w- I want to follow my passion. And I think that's good advice for anyone. And maybe your job doesn't allow it yet, but maybe when you retire, uh, follow your passion or make it part of your life. Don't be stuck just in your work life. Try to find... Uh, room and time to follow your personal passions, whatever those are musical or not.
0: No, I think that's, I think that's, that's a I mean, good words of wisdom right there. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to go off of that. I feel like as we kind of, uh, we've let people know what's going on. We've let people know what you're doing. Um, anything else we should leave people with as we start to close this out? Anything else we should let people know?
1: I'm just so grateful to live in a community where the arts thrive. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that Jamestown has their own orchestra, you know, the Jamestown Area Community Orchestra that I happen to be director of. So if you're listening and you play the cello, please contact me because we would love to have you come and play with the orchestra. We do two programs, one in the fall and one in the spring, and we do uh, beautiful music that you will enjoy playing and audience listening to. We have other things, like I mentioned before, the Infinity Performing Arts. I had the pleasure of working there for many years, helping the Infinity Big Band as well as private students. This is the School of Rock on steroids in (laughs) Jamestown. To have such a resource if you wanna play different instruments or pursue any other media arts, that's available to people of our area. Any weekend, you can probably find five or six musical events mm-hmm. going yeah. on. Uh, you just have to be aware and listen for what's available. And this is not available in most communities. So that, it just, it makes me very happy that I live in an area where the arts can thrive. And their support for those arts is in the community.
0: Oh absolutely. I, I, I travel around a decent amount and I gotta say, you go to places, including like our size, that we don't they don't have half the things we do. I don't and I think you're right, people don't realize it. When it's in your backyard, sometimes you take it for granted. And there really is. You try to highlight it and there's some amazing things around here. One being you. Check out John Cross and everything <laughs> he has going on in uh in twenty twenty three. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is, John, it's been great talking to you. We will uh, we'll play some John Cross for you now. We'll play like, we, we have a nice little sampler here. We'll play a few songs here to uh, end out the show. But I'm Anthony Merchant talking to John Cross. Happy 2023. You are tuned in to Arts on Fire right here on 107.9 WRFA.